1866 Sport. Well, welcome to... Welcome to the first ever weekend warm-up here on 1866 Sport. I'm Phil Tooley and I'll generally be joined by Ellie Yates, but sadly the thermometer reached 40 degrees, which means she's cooped up in bed. Get well soon, Ellie. So Kirk Big, he'll be him, him with us this evening, but uh, we'll be here with you each Friday from 7 until 8, helping you to get into the mood for Chesterfield's weekend action. Each week we'll chat all things Spirits and all things National League, but we don't want to be chatting National League for too many more months, with a wide variety of guests covering every aspect of Chesterfield FC. For our opener, we'll have the best possible guest will be with us for the full hour, the man leading the club's charge back to the EFL. As a player, he appeared in the Premier League and in the conference, as it was then called, but he didn't taste success in the form of promotion until well into his, nine, into his 30s, with Burnley and then in his final season as a player with Accrington Stanley. But as a manager, he's taken plenty of success. He led Sligo Rovers to three cup wins over in Ireland before leading Chesterfield, Portsmouth and Wigan Athletic to championship wins. Something we all expect to happen again this season. He appeared in over 700 games as a player and he managed over 800 matches. He's only been without the club in one way or another for 10 months in 40 years as a professional. Very few people will be able to match that record. Welcome to Weekend Warm-Up, Chesterfield manager Paul Cook. Well, you know, we all know how fond you were uh, after your first spell at Chesterfield. But what was it tempted you back here to manage it a level that, apart from that time at Accrington, you didn't really know much about? An un unenjoyable period at Ipswich Town I had. You know, I went down to work for a, an owner called Marcus Evans and then the ownership changed. You know, I should have left when the ownership changed. I wanted to leave. You know, I was talked down to stay. Within that period at Ipswich, we went through, I think, we released 27-odd players in the summer. So you can imagine what a turnaround that was. And then to only be given, I think it was 17 or 19 games, just sums up where football is for me, Phil. You know, you can't have that much surgery and expect to be healthy that quick. You know, I'm delighted for Ipswich Town, by the way. I'm delighted for the supporters of Ipswich. You know, well, such lovely people, really good fan base, great support, but the club needed changing. You know, and to get the short space of time I did, if you throw in as well, my dad was, was very sick. You know, my dad passed away. So it became a really difficult period for me. It was living a long way from home. It was away from my father at a crucial time where I know he wouldn't want me to be in work. And, you know, my two brothers carried that fight on. You know, and it was, it was tough days for me, you know, so I really wish it should sound well. I don't wish one or two of the people down there well, because I don't think they're very nice people. But the, the club itself is an absolutely fantastic club, and I'm really delighted for Kieran McKenna, the players there, that they're getting success that them fans deserve. You know, after coming out there and being at Wigan Athletic in the Championship, as you said, I was 10 months out of work, Phil, when I was probably at the height of my managerial career. You know, Wigan had a fantastic role, we put a really strong team together with some unbelievably good players in. Again, we got into administration, so it was a difficult two to three years for me. You know, at that point, I wasn't enjoying football. I wasn't particularly, you know, happy with football. Um, you know, managing in the National League was something that <laughs> I just didn't ever contemplate, to be brutally honest. You know, but I wanted to smile again. You know, I wanted to work for good people and not bad people. You know, and that was so important to me. And obviously, when I met Mike DeChain and John Cruz and Andy Phantom, I think everyone knows what type of people they are. They're absolutely proper people, really good people. And then my whole thought process was the fact that when I needed a job in football, it was Chesterfield that gave me my platform to go on. I felt, you know, that I could come back and possibly help them go back to the football league and, you know, take the club back to where we once had it and also to take the supporters that were always close to me, you know, back to the days of playing the team that we feel we should be playing. So, to say it's been a tough period, <laughs> that wouldn't do justice, justice to tough periods. Obviously, the initial period when I come back was really tough. 
you know, the amount of injuries and stuff. I've never seen anything in my life, you know. But I wanted this trial again. I just wanted to enjoy football, and it's something that I've got to say. The last eight, nine months have been an absolute pleasure. And of course, one thing that's relatively unusual for managers is coming into a side that's doing okay. It doesn't, unless the manager's being poached to go further up. It's not often it happens. So, so what were your initial observations, apart from in the injury room, you've just alluded to that, that needed to be done to lift the squad from what was a, a, a good squad in a decent position into one that was capable of winning uh, promotion from such as what we all know now is such an unforgiving division? I think we'd be first. I was doing Sky Sports on the night and I was getting, you know, I was working for Sky a lot and I was, you know, to be fair to Sky, I'm very grateful. For oh, that was a Stockport. Uh, because because you had, you had agreed to come and do commentary with me, hadn't you, until yeah. the, all the rumours started coming they, out. They paid a lot more money to get I kicked every ball in the last 10 minutes wouldn't be doing justice because I think for Danny and Buki were on the line that night I think they found out how long 10 minutes can be yes. I think we all did you know when I come in and, and to be fair to the previous manager James Rowe you know he had a really good knack of winning football games you know which was clearly evident for me following Chesterfield from afar you know to come in and then the first game for me was at Weymouth and I sat at the back of the stand with my son Connor and we watched the game and obviously Cabby got you know that injury that day and then to come into the club and obviously Danny Rowe was out injured and the amount of injuries I've never ever seen anything of the like anything of the like yeah, we're just moving Paul's microphone a little bit closer that's all I've never seen anything Phil it was to the point where we were training you know, we couldn't train we didn't have the players and from what, what looked like a team obviously that was challenging you know we quickly become a team absolutely decimated by injury and with all due respect the goals have gone up the team you know it was a tough tough three or four months you know the famous interview we done with the she Sheffield fella you know when people go on about why I don't like speaking to the press because there's idiots around like him that don't want to give anybody a minute's time you know talk here away I've never been as embarrassed watching a football game in my life and he wants me to slag me players off and our players off you know my job, job as a manager is to implement change that sees the team become successful it's not to answer every single stupid question that comes along you know and it was a really tough time and you know obviously then to go into a pre-season and start putting the team back together again a little bit you know what I always feel Phil and I always have you know managers have to build teams you know today fans and clubs and you know they just don't allow it no more you know the game's changed it's brutal and if you don't get success quick then you find yourself in trouble it's something I don't agree with I don't think some of the managerials managers are given chances you see managers now sacked without even getting a window you know and, and, and then you know for Chesterfield for last season I enjoyed last year because I always felt um, not county and next were ahead of us they were just ahead of us in time in recruitment in being together in, in everything they were trying to do we're now at that point in our journey we're ready for what we're doing and, and three matches over last season against Notts County I know Chesterfield didn't manage a win in any of them but they matched Notts County but they just had that knack of winning didn't they Chesterfield have got that this season we, 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 Phil, we went 10 games without a win last year you know what most clubs as a manager now you're close to the sack mm. if you're 10 games without a win that's how football is and like I always said I was having a chat with Ash Kirk today about it managers don't operate best under pressure you know for anyone who goes into a workplace, if you've worked, and I'm sure most people have worked in team situations or team, you know, you don't enjoy being under pressure or being told you've been six games without a win or you're in danger of being sacked. But football's created madness now. And that's what the game is, it's just total madness. And I enjoy trying to remove myself from the madness and working with people that I like and trust. And one of the very first things you said to me on your on your return uh, was that you're looking back over the few years, last year or two in the EFL, and the throughput of players at Chesterfield had just been ridiculous. There's players who played a couple of seasons ago, I can't remember, you know, they think, oh yeah, I forgot about him. And so from day one, or certainly perhaps after the day that Solihull beat Chesterfield in the playoffs, I'm sure much of your strategy has been based around trying to get a squad, to use your words, that you can trust... But there's a squad that's not 40 people big. Phil, at the start of this year, we needed a new back four. Mm. Because we were 
conceding goals. Every poor defender in our team, for as isolated as we leave it, and we could leave our lads isolated, Phil, trust me. We needed a new back four. Yeah, I look at the back four now, and Jamie Grimes, Ash Palmer, Will Turner, Williams, and these lads. They're outstanding. Mm. Yeah, in football, if you were to crumble to sort of them so-called pressure, because we were conceding goals, you've got to change everything. And I just think people are mad now in football. I just think the continuous cycle of change it is wrong. You know, there's no such thing as working with players to get better. You know, we're still now, by the way, we're not a, a, what I call a great defensive team. Now we're probably half, and probably less than that. You know, and that's through the lads watching the clips, going back on the training ground, through working hard to be better. You know, and then the front lads also working a lot harder to not giving the ball away as cheaply and to protect them. And I just, you know, said to John and Andy, I think it was when I first come in, why do we keep signing millions of players? Like, I just feel it's mad. Like, the solution for every supporter in general is just keep chopping and changing. And that's not my way at all. And, and you were talking there about looking at clips and all this sort of stuff. I remember from your first spell, you used to sort of say people like Jimmy Ryan responded better to watching clips rather than being talked at or talked to. Everybody's different, but some managers have got the my way or the highway route, and it doesn't work, does it? It's work for a bit. Oh, it's a bit enough. <laughs> But, but like you know I, and I'm sure we're going to touch on a little bit later being a football fan I always think that as a fan the fans would like to trust us for example we stayed down in Eastley for three or four days this week and I'd love that like our, our uh, media crew to follow the players around to see them doing the post game analysis to see them doing the recovery Sunday in the pool to see them Monday training at West Ham to see them then Tuesday night with changes in the team and I've got to say this is probably the best group of players I've ever worked with these lads are an absolute pleasure and I've been saying that to anyone who I speak to in football my close football friends I've been saying that for a long time now I make changes in these rooms now purely because I probably don't know what our best team is not because I'm trying to be clever but because every time I make a change whoever comes in seems to do the same as the ones that were in before well, the flip line is you don't know what the worst team is aren't you? Oh, he, does the best. everyone you know Tyrone Williams hasn't been on a losing team this year for Chesterfield yeah, I left them out on Tuesday night. Yeah. Are you with me? Well, I, I think I looked, looked uh, a couple of weeks ago, you were saying about the, the goals that were being conceded yeah. by Williams and, and Grimes in the past. I think their their record together, when they started together, is sort of played 12 1 11 draw or something like that. I, I, nearly every player in our team offers up similar percentage stats. Yeah. And it's and they're being great. It's been, a, you know, when we went away in pre season, you know, even for our supporters who were our Matlock for the pre season family we took Matlock Matlock apart we absolutely took them apart Matlock are alright Matlock are no Pope Sunday League team I think they got beat 2-0 by Derby on the Saturday or two, whatever it was you know and the science for us early on was that we were going to have firepower you know the challenge for us then was making sure that we addressed the, the other side of the game the conceding goals especially when we're in strong positions attacking wise but the players the players I, I listen the managers we, we, we get criticised and we take plaudits when the right times these players are an absolute credit to the football club without a shadow of a doubt and the staff as well I've got to say that you know I'm lucky I've got you know Kieran Dyer obviously went into hospital for a bit of a liver transplant Paddy Byrne come in to support and assist Gary Roberts has obviously been with me for a period of time the previous lads Danny Webb Buki Jordan you know Ben Jack the analyst they just they work they're just so thorough like I genuinely believe it or not I can have days in work to now where I just bounce around having cups of teas doing everyone's editing because the people that, I'm, that I've got working with me are absolutely so trustworthy and so all off the same page it's untrue well, well as somebody who's worked in business for years that's, that's what a chief executive role and I'm talking about a football chief executive in this case should be you should have if you've not got a team that you trust yeah. you've got the wrong team I do fancy Crutie's job as we go along <laughs> like, I always think about sitting in the stand and looking down the yeah. poor manager yeah. No, but, uh, yeah I take your point Phil, but we, we ended up putting a bit of staff together like our lads are so lucky with the coaches we have at the club you know Paddy Byrne is a, a, an international coach for Everton he's believe yeah, me it's easy well yeah <laughs> he sneaked in the back door Paddy I've got to say but he's playing Keenan Dyer his knowledge of football is frightening you know Gary Roberts is absolutely lapping up being a coach he's tough Gary's a, a tough taskmaster 
you know, as you see, our lads train hard, a lot, and regular. You know, we don't worry about going to lots of stages of games because we know we're fit. You know, so Jordan, the sports scientist, Ben, the physio, you know, Danny Webb, the assistant, we can go right through all our lads and the staff. And I just feel we've got a really good fit at the minute, long may it continue. So after the defeat at Wembley against North County last week, obviously you, you have got your strategy worked out whichever way. And I suspect that strategy wouldn't have changed much if, it, if we'd been in League Two at the start of the season or the National League. No. Because you're looking even further forward than that. I think, I think, I think our fans who've probably remember from last time, I can probably be a bit pig-headed at times with me, sort of some of my football stuff. I'm very, I'm very believing in what I believe in, in football, and I always have and I always will do that. Like big massive squads, you know, I never have done. Do you know, it's frustrating me this year when people have said we've threw money at it. I think the bosses at the club will tell you that our wage bill is lower this year than it was last year. We're not the highest wage bill in the league. We're not probably in the top three. But everyone now wants to say, oh, Chesterfield, just throw money at it. We have two strikers at the club, Craig and Quigley. Go and look how many some of the other clubs have. Go and look at the wages they're paying. Yeah, we're looking at Holder, we're talking about Holder. Well, no, you, but let's not talk. I'm under the bus now, by the way, but we're not. Well, yeah, I'm on James Norwood. <laughs> I wasn't very good at maths, but do the maths. Uh, you know, and this is the truth, but it become a bit of a, a token gesture to say, oh, you know, Chesterfield are throwing money at it. And, you know, I just think through our club, we've recruited well. Yeah, let, let, let's just talk about recruitment, because your first time round, you inherited John Sheridan and appointed Paul Mitchell, who we all think is one of the best at what he, uh, what he, what he does. Um, so, you, 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 you'll have come in there wasn't a lot of recruitment around the previous manager was very keen on doing that himself so there wasn't an infrastructure so so was key to you very early on trying to get that infrastructure sorted. I didn't need so now to fill. I think Paul Mitchell was a fantastic GA. No, I'm talking about this time. Oh yeah, at Chesterfield. Yeah. I don't think Chesterfield had a scout, did he? Forgive me if I get it wrong. No, I think you're probably right. Yeah, forgive me if I get it wrong because obviously I don't want to tell stay stuff that's not correct. You know, I think the previous manager was doing a lot of the recruitment. I might again forgive me because I don't really want to speak about other people or anything that's gone on. You know, that's not me. You know, but I couldn't understand where we got to as a club. You know, I just felt, and I'm not going to say stuff openly on, on the air because I don't feel a need to. I just felt our standards as a football club had dropped, you know, and that's for whatever reasons. And, you know, for me, the quicker I could implement changes that I believe were the right ones, the better. And I've got to add, I've had the full support of the board above me, which is, you know, one of the things that as a manager today, probably a lot of the managers don't get that. And that's something that, you know, I think sad. Sort of arguing against myself a little bit. You don't need talent scouts to know what Will Green, Tom Naylor, and Michael Jacobs can bring to the party. But how on earth did you get them here? I think one of the things, Phil, especially for Tom Naylor, if we be honest, was location. Tom was wanting to move back to the Mansfield area. You know, I think Mansfield were in for Tom Naylor. You know, we were going in for Tom. We gave him a length of contact that was attractive then. And to be fair, obviously because of Liam Richardson and my relationship, I knew exactly what I was getting in the building with Tom Naylor. And again, I can only tell our supporters when we speak about Greg Naylor and Michael Jacobs, we're probably speaking about like as good of three lads as you'll meet. How train every day, how habits are everything that young lads should be around, how come in prepared to work every day, how set the, the tone for every training session. So you're actually investing in the future of our club as well. You know, so because I'd worked with Griggy and Jacobs, that made it easier. You know, without a shadow of a doubt, the club sells itself. You know, we always think at try and get lads over here and sit them upstairs and look out. And especially in the summer when the pitch is immaculate and the stadium looks good. You know, we're not a conference team, but we have to respect the fact that we are you know and I think that's one of the things that helps you be successful when you accept where you are you know you don't turn up at grounds for example and think we shouldn't be here we actually are here and we, if we want to be successful we need to start winning at these places absolutely right you know I've always been a great believer in promotion should be based on results not on ground grading 100%, 100%. So, no, no question about that so, but in your, in, you know, again post Wembley in your wildest dreams did you expect this season to go the way it's 
gone. I expected us to be up there, Phil. I've got to be honest, it's like again I said to Ashkirk at the end of the season, because I think managers should be outlaid what the club expect of you. So if you look at our season this year, and by the way, we've still got a long way to go. There's still, you know, there's still football to be played. And I think as people who know me, the staff and the players, we aren't counting our chickens. We haven't had no success yet. We're in a great place. And the harder we work, the luckier we'll get. And that's the, the guarantee that, you know, our supporters know. But we finished third in a very competitive league last year and we got 84 points. So I'd like to work on the pretext that we're going to finish higher than third this year and we're going to get more than 84 points. I hope we're going to get more than 80 already. But with 15 games to go, Phil, even I might take a chance on that one. You know, and as you know yourself, Phil, it only leaves two positions for us to fill. You know, and if we're going to progress as a club and myself as a manager and the staff, you know, that for us to show progression, it's more than 84 points and it's higher than third in the league. And it looks like Touchwood at the minute, we're going to achieve both of them objectives. You know, hopefully we can get the top one. Well, football is always about results, but it is an entertainment business, there's no question about it. Chesterfield are phenomenally entertained. They'll be beating all sorts of records, scoring and, and consecutive wins and all of those sort of things, which is why, you know, it's going to be a big crowd tomorrow for the absolute uh, uh, game and everything along those lines. But, but do you take as much pleasure out of developing a player like James Berry to come from a... I, I know he's, he's been in the, the league before briefly, played a couple of games for All City in his, in his early days. But developing, developing him from a, a raw, fast talent into somebody who you can now genuinely think is in your first 11 plans? I, without a shadow of a doubt, Phil, I think when you bring the lads into the club, I think the first thing they've got to learn is that, you know, the professionalism side of it, you know, the game's changed now, you have to be fit. You know, you have to live in the gym now. You know, if you want to be a good player, fitness should be a tap-in, it should be a given. You know, so the first thing, especially for lads who might have come from clubs that aren't full-time, i.e. every day, that might have had a job as well, you know, where some days you might be shattered, you get home from work. It's just embedding them in, in that professional routine. You know, James has talked to it great. He's very, very popular in the dressing room, James. He's a really good lad. He's a, he's a chirpy boy. He's got a bit of banter with the boys. And, you know, he looks up to some of the players in a good way. But also a lot of the players look up to James because James has got what, you know, I think recruitment lads search for when they're out there looking for players. He's got that final bit in football which, and he's deadly. You know, he's had a few chances early on. He's nearly done this. He's nearly done that. But I, I just felt the Altingham goal was his moment of, you know, I'm here. As a coach, sitting watching that and sitting watching the replay, do you look at that and think that, that's almost a perfect goal? Uh, yeah, for James, we see it every day. Gary Roberts works with him. Keenan Dyer, Paddy, they work with these players. Everything's repetition for us. Everything you see out on the pitch on a Saturday, we've done that all week. So if you shut your eyes, James Berry comes off that left side and believe you me, Phil, he scores in the far post. Harry Tyler and Booty will tell you that by the way. You know, because that's, you, you reproduce what you work on. You know, and James is one of them lads, even at Dagenham the other night when the ball dropped to him. And he'd say on the bench, goal, you just know it's a goal. Whereas previously, you might have had players that, you know, as a manager, you've gone, if it drops to him, ugh, ugh. and that's not being critical of any players. It's just that, them moments that you trust. And then you look back, even Liam Mandeville, you know, when we come in, I think Mandy only got two goals you know like I said to Mandy Mandy's a popular kid everyone knows how much we all love Mandy Mandy also never played more than an hour yeah never played more than an hour like I said to Mandy you're a, de you're a great lad but you'll get me the sack <laughs> you know four Mandys get me eight goals a year Phil and it's not going to keep me in a job and if you look at our flair players now I know Ryan's been off uh, six weeks with an injury you know Mandy's on I don't know what he's on top of us on eight now in the league they're all knocking towards ten you know Griggy's on whatever he's on eighteen towards 20 quigs is on 8, 9 or 10 playing a lot less minutes and they all have an appetite to score now and I think that's the important thing I know there's a couple of divisions difference to the 14-15 team that got to the playoffs uh, last time round but how does this squad compare with that one? I think the other squad was a better team Phil purely because it was a higher level and that's just the, the brutal truth of it there's no getting away from it you know but this team in terms of consistency and wins is much better team you know, and you can only be good in your own level, can't you? I've always said this. It's like when people say, oh, managers have found a level, and I think to myself, what a stupid statement. Like, what, what a most ridiculous statement to say. How do we not know what some managers might do with better squads of players or, you know, better environments?
environments to work you know but sometimes we can like just you know categorise people and players too quick you know that team that we had here last time was a pleasure again again it was a great dressing room we had a few characters in the team and you know the, the team just was like good players I remember some of the good games and ones I enjoyed it was like the replay at Scunthorpe away I think we were 2-0 oh, yeah. down and we just battered them and we had great support behind the goal and it was like you know we're going to score you know it was just that and we equalised later on I think right away Phil but you know it, it was a really good team and again you know good lads good players a good time to be around Chesterfield Football Club and I think what these have done and you know for me as a manager I, w- I wasn't bad after Wembley and it really I was alright with it I felt we turned up on the day I felt we never let no supporters down who travelled we worked hard and Notts County finished whatever points ahead of us they finished there was no there was no problem losing on penalties for me because it wasn't our time now if we'd have lost to uh, Bromley Boreham Wood Solly or whoever else was in there the ones who finished below us Wembley would have been a painful defeat because you'd have expected to go up coming into this season now and as we're getting near the end of the season it's all in front of us now so all our pain can go away if we stay on doing what we're doing well Paul at the top of the show we were talking about your incredible run of 40 years in the game as a professional and only a a handful of months out of work but at at what point in your playing career did you start thinking that management was possible for you? I think one of the things you've got to, I always think you've got to love what you do you know so to say I love football wouldn't be doing football as a service it was you know as a player I'd obviously watch Liverpool I'm a season ticket holder at Liverpool so you know my family my father took us to Anfield every week you know football was just in us you know so as a player I was always I felt playing football was an honour I felt it was a privilege to play football and to be paid for it you know I genuinely think of me life I haven't worked I've got to say that I even think today I'm, I'm blessed I'm lucky you know I come in and like my head aches an hour again trying to solve football problems you know and I just I just feel that you know I, I have been you know lucky you know that I've had really good jobs in football I've, enjoy, I've really enjoyed managing you know the clubs touch wood that I've had and the successes I've had I've had very little pain in management very very little and not many people get that you know coming back here now the position we sit in today you know I smile every day you know and that's something in management that you've got to search for and sometimes even last time when I left here and people you can't really say why you're leaving it was you know when I, when I, it, was, it was like when I left Portsmouth I left Portsmouth for Wigan because I was greedy and a money grabber I got offered more money to stay at Portsmouth <laughs> so the money's actually got nothing to do with it it's got zero to do with it you know and, you know when I left last time I knew I was gone I'd left about two or three weeks before the games imagine how I felt knowing that I'd left the club that I love you know it's painful it's not nice it's not what you want you know but sometimes things happen for a reason you know so all my life in football I've just been a a football nut I've obviously followed Liverpool all over the world you know I'm obviously a season ticket holder I've obviously been a fan of football all my life and I don't really like people who don't like football so if that's a player and we sign a player and he's not really ah go off him quick you know I like football football people so No, it's, it's quite quite funny uh, you saying that. We had a, a player you'll know, you'll know the player, and I'll, I'll mention his by name, uh, Trevor Hebbard. Yeah, yeah. Who, uh, I don't know if you were there, but he's midfielder from Oxford. Uh, yeah, and I've got a sad life, sad life midfielder. Before that, he scored the winner Anfield for Southampton. Yeah, yeah. When when Liverpool were European champions, yeah. we were playing Liverpool uh, in in the League Cup. Yeah. So I did a little bit of a, a few interviews. And I interviewed Trevor and. Sorry, before the match, said, "Is he all right for a quick word afterwards?" Yeah. So I just want to talk about when you scored the winning goal against Liverpool. Yeah. And you just went, "Did I? Did I? Yeah. Good luck with that." You know, and you thought, "What?" It, and it wasn't—it wasn't a huge goal scorer. Yeah. But he couldn't remember scoring the, the winning goal against the European champions. You know, and it's like some people do it for a job. Oh, listen, I, I, everyone's different, Phil. Is not I don't have like I like the players being different. I like them being themselves. You know, we've got a really good, you know, mixed bag, as we say. Do you know? good luck you know lads can be diverse now they can be different and you know we support anybody you don't have to be in with the lads or in with the them days are gone you know being yourself is a really good commodity I just seem to gravitate towards people who like watching football did, did when you were playing you played for most of your career for, for really good clubs yeah. who, who knew you know decent sized crowds right from 
from Julie Norrie from Wigan and then Coventry playing in the Premier League for them Burnley Stan Turner I know gave you a, a new lease of life but did that spell at Accrington really help you in your manager, managerial oh. career because, because you're down at a, a level playing where you see two notches up from grassroots Phil ball. John Coleman never ever gets the credit he deserves for what he's done in football he doesn't get offered managerial jobs I can't get my head around that he's took Accrington Stanley like Dorking from where Dorking were them type of divisions to League One and he's got a great saying John he got beat 4-0 at Derby last year the year he relegated and an Accrington fan waited for him after the game and said to him after the game he said John that was like men against boys <laughs> Coley said you've watched the same game as me then mate haven't you because it was you're with me but John, John can become a victim of his own success like Accrington Stanley last year playing Ipswich Sheffield Wednesday Derby you know yeah John you know we said before when people go on about managers and father levels if ever a manager deserved a really good chance at a good club I advocate John Coleman because when I was at Accrington with him himself and Jimmy Bell you know love football Trust me, they love football. And that comes out in the players and the way the team plays and the desire Accrington Stanley shows a football club, you know, because he's so passionate about the game that it transmits to his players. Absolutely, no question. So you, you've been at that sort of level, short spell at Southport, we won't particularly talk about that, but then Sligo, who are a decent side in Ireland, but they've not won anything for 10, 12 years at, at all. And a proper old-fashioned committee-run club, wasn't it? Sligo's great, Phil. Sligo's absolutely brilliant. I left I think the playing budget at Southport when we went full time in the conference was two and a half grand a week so it was my first lesson in football I just thought managers just signed players and we just brought them in I didn't know about like we might pay lads 50 or 100 pound a week in the conference and at the time in the conference it was Stephen and Jim Morecambe they were the big teams and like at Southport I enjoyed Southport for us as tough as it was you know the lads were actually in games and competing and getting beat 3-2 and you know doing really well but it was my first lesson, you know, in, in money, you know, in budgets and the wage bill of two and a half grand a week was obviously shocking. You know, it really was shocking. So going to Sligo, I think the wage bill was 15 grand a week. I felt I'd gone to Chelsea, Phil. I was offering lads like £600 a week and I thought it was like a fortune. But Sligo let me manage, Phil, and it was, it, was, it was such a good club. It was a pleasure. You know, we had a lot of Liverpool lads come over because they were the lads that I knew from the Accrington area. Do you know, obviously I signed, I was looking to sign Romo Bocco, who was playing here, who was outstanding. You know, we obviously had a core of Irish lads that were good and yeah, Seamus Coleman being one of them along with others and they just did the town come behind the team, Phil, and it was a really, it was a, such an enjoyable four and a half years of my life, it was untrue. You know, we were obviously successful, the club had changed and obviously I then wanted to move on in management and, you know, I had an opportunity to manage St Johnston, I went across and met them. Um, and they offered me the job and blah 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 but it didn't fit to turn the job down purely on the basis I just didn't see English people being successful in Scotland whereas Ireland was a totally different place this was only my opinion by the way this is nothing to do with anything else other than my opinion you know and it turned Irish anyway least. 100% Phil you know and the Irish the Liverpool connection is there for everyone to see so I ended up coming back and returning to Accrington to be manager and obviously it was a club in you do you know but obviously following John for anyone following John Coleman will be not just a difficult task but an impossible task yeah I, th I think I remember at the time uh, noticing for something like 12 consecutive years Accrington finished higher than they'd finished the higher before so it was just a cycle continual yeah yeah without a doubt yeah but of course you first came to Chesterfield's notice with that 4-3 defeat here at uh, uh, Woodington Moor uh, when we got Jack Lester and you hadn't and that was the and Mark Richards as well Phil you had them both yeah, right. not just one we had a double trouble <laughs> Jack and Mark and you know you've got that brand of football going because it's, it, it's, it's not a similar brand of football to what John Colburn tended to play but you've got that seemingly going very quickly and it's always been I've always had my own ideas on football Phil it's not come from coaching schools it's not come from St George's you know and I think now in football where there's a real 
real massive amount of new coaches coming into the country and, and, and English football and it's good for the game Phil it's really educational you know people know football now and tactics and systems and formations you know mine was always just built off how I wanted football to be played you know it was only when I got to Wigan really I'd have to say that it, it become more challenging when you were playing against better teams how more prevalent and important formations could be you know my way of playing was a simple one I always felt we only lost because of the calibre of player we never lost because of the formation whereas once or twice in the championship when we played we lost because of the formation rather than the actual calibre of player which basically means park the bus well, what, what, I know you played with him but one person who became synonymous with you for quite a while that, that was attacking to the time Liam Richardson just how good a guy was he then and is he now ah, listen as management went on Phil it was hard because we put together by the time we got to Wigan through when we'd been at Portsmouth and got to Wigan and our final stage at Wigan we'd put a team together that was frightening you know no different as well as speak about me present group of staff that, that was the team that beat Pep Guardiola Guardiola Manchester City with Wilfred scoring the winner wasn't it it certainly was Phil yeah but you know behind the scenes Phil we had Nick Colgan as the goalkeeping coach who's obviously at Stockport now we had Anthony Barry who was first team coach who's now Thomas Tuchel's first team coach at Bayern Munich we had Andrew Proctor and Nick Meese running sports science in the medical department one's leading that at Stoke and one's leading that at Blackburn now and unfortunately when Wigan went into administration Liam Richardson obviously being my assistant you know I had to resign there was, I, the club couldn't afford to pay me so I had no choice but to resign I didn't want to leave Wigan you know but you've got to help try and let other people you know keep jobs and stuff and obviously the staff then all Nick Colgan went to Notts Forest Andy Barry went to Chelsea initially you know and it just got tore apart and it's hard putting good stuff together you know so that was sad because it was something that we built and we are at Wigan together at a good level in the championship the club was doing really well I think we only missed out by staying up after the deduction the last game with Fulham where we drew 1-1 and a win would have kept us up but even if we'd have won Phil I'd have had to leave the club yes. so it was irrelevant you know the result was irrelevant you know and again for Wigan Athletic it's just great to see them having a club now it's great to see the fans you know I always say this about supporters sometimes they moan about leagues and different stuff but the reality is if you support your team you go to match that's what we do and the most important thing is having a match to go to on a Saturday absolutely no question about that we were there 20 years ago in Chesterfield so I know exactly yeah. what you mean before that of course at, at, at Portsmouth I remember you sort of saying when you were you, you were going down there that, that's almost the profile of a club that, that suits you a yeah. fallen giant for want of a, a, a team playing below the level that they ought to be at um, that, that second, was it second season of the championship yeah but it was one with virtually the last kick of the match that was the only time you were ever top of the table no it? Phil we were top for 19 minutes come on give us a bit of credit <laughs> give us a bit of credit 19 Phil. minutes out of a 46 game season yeah. you won the championship we won the championship it was the way to do it and Portsmouth was Portsmouth a great club honestly the fan base down there and how the community live for the football club it's great to see John Messino and the team doing well do you know when we played the I didn't really know John but to say what a good guy and a gentleman he was after the game he's now got fans in Chesterfield that he didn't know he had all our staff spoke really well about him when he left we all look for Portsmouth's result now even myself included more fondly because of John and that club's got a really good safe pair of hands at the helm at the minute and long may it continue yeah like you say there's some clubs that have just got the tradition with fans and, and Portsmouth are one of those they were league champions yeah you know? 
with the winning football side and you've got magic you? I, I think you know when you get to points and you know Paul's was a great club you know I loved working for Mark Catlin Tony Brown the FD down there you know, Ian McInnes was my chairman and he was, a, he was a great guy he was a really proper you know old football type of chairman you had a real good personal relationship with and the fans just wanted success you know they didn't want to be in League 2 anymore Hundred percent. So any manager who went in there, you had to look like you were going to be successful yes. because you wouldn't have lasted. You know because they crave success. You know so to deliver that success, I really enjoyed that. You know, but then again, from the fans' point of view, it was new American owners coming in. You know all that, all that I the structure that I've been working with was now about to change. And by the way, that could change for the better. You know, I think the the, the Islanders are a really good ownership group. The Portsmouth are in a really solid place the club's growing Richard Hughes a really good sporting director good chief exec you know Tony Brown they have to really good fan base stadiums changing the club's Portsmouth are in a great place now but at that time it was more that it was people I wasn't sure about and I hadn't worked with you know and that opportunity then come for me to go to Wigan and it was something that I wanted to do yeah and uh, work, work with great uh, great success as well you say at Saturday but one of the things that you have always said you wanted to do and wasn't allowed to do a tip switch. It's cultural. It's about the culture through the club, yeah. through all of the playing staff, through all the backroom staff, the non-playing staff. And you know, you've got. To, I think you once said to be here, which it was run by the analysts who went right. on a different tinker. Phil, don't forget, and you've got to be careful now because it never worked out for me at Ipswich. It can sound really like sour grapes. I don't feel when you have the changes at a club that you change like I did at Ipswich that you should be given the sack after 17 or 19 games I've always built teams and over periods of times it's been successful I felt my managerial record should have seen me gain that time required but I don't really want to criticise anybody at Ipswich or any structures that would be the ownership's uh, divine right to do run their club exactly how they want and the clubs and the clubs in good hands the club's a very solid club the, the, the fan base is turning and up they're getting success on the pitch this year they're having an amazing year in the championship the young manager Kieran's doing fantastic so the clubs it just wasn't for Paul Cook at that moment and the only criticism is the length of time given because I think for football people if you'd have looked at Ipswich's squad it was changing for the better it was clearly changing for the better and I felt success wasn't far away unfortunately that decision they made they're fully entitled to make and we've got to stress that well, I'm going to go and bail it down to do right? Yeah. They're for themselves. Last question on, on, on this management section. How, how does the job work alongside family life? Oh, tough. Tough, really is tough. Absolutely tough, no matter what anyone says. I can certainly relate to Jürgen Klopp, you know, and say, because if it doesn't consume you, you're not doing it right. You know, that's that's my will, because we kick every ball. You know, last Tuesday night, me and Gary Roberts in the back of the stand at Solly all watching Dagenham. You know, you can imagine then when you get back from this week and you've been away for four days, you get back at half three, four o'clock in the morning to Liverpool. You're not exactly a barrel of laughs the next day, Phil, are you? She doesn't know you've got 80 points and you're delighted. She wants to know where we're going that day and you're not getting off the couch. So, you know, it does affect it, but I think a support of home life is really important for us all. You know, and I certainly get that through Joanne and, you know, my family and my mum and, you know, everyone around me, my children, so I'm lucky. Definitely my dad, Phil, going to the games, crying because he wouldn't take me to Rome in 77. I was only nine and we couldn't afford to go. I couldn't afford to go. You know, my dad went obviously with his mates and left me behind. You can imagine what he got called, Phil, didn't you? He'd done us two weeks in Rome and we never seen him, didn't we? So, you know, that was when we won the European Cup and then I went to, to watch Liverpool at Wolves in 76 when Steve Kinden scored the first goal. We won 3 1. Ray Kennedy and Keegan and the lads, you know, and just going to match just always going to match always going down to get tickets off a fella called Ted Black in Liverpool we used to go down right by Anfield the stadium me and my dad are going to pick the tickets up and just going to match just, you can live as a kid in Kirby brought up in Kirby
Derby, which is just on the outskirts of Liverpool, it's about six or seven miles away. Um, my dad was obviously an inner city person. He grew up in the city centre, but I think they were moving out to the different areas, then moving them out to city centres. You know, just always going to match support in Liverpool, home and away. The back of transit vans going with the shutters down and, you know, just sitting on cans of lager and trays of lager and bottles of bitter. You know, and just the camaraderie that going to football matches brought amongst people and, you know, getting to know people from going to game. And obviously I was pursuing a football career as well, which was, you know, difficult because, as you say, you can't really go to match on a Saturday if you want to be a player. You know, and then the surreal moments for me was, you know, playing at Anfield and winning at Anfield for Coventry and Norwich. You know, it was really surreal to play against a team that you'd absolutely, you know, idolise. And, you know, one of my best moments was, was against Blackburn for Wolves and Kenny Daglish swore at me from the sidelines over Sutton and I've turned around and I was about to tell him exactly where to go. It was Kenny Daglish. I, actually, I went over and apologised for even saying anything derogatory towards him because Kenny was my, like, Kenny was, my, oh yeah, Kenny was the best. You know, he Keegan? Well, Keegan was, left us, didn't he? he? went to Hamburg after the 77 final and, you know, like everyone club thinks, people think you'll never replace someone but we do don't we life goes on you know and to get Daglish after Keegan was just you know so so good for Liverpool supporters because he epitomised how football should be played and obviously to become a manager and a, a title winning manager then is and then I'm lucky enough to know Kenny a small bit a tiny bit you know I've met him through Peter Reid in Liverpool when Peter was working for us and he come and visited my dad when he was sick unbelievable absolutely unbelievable and you know the, the great thing about Liverpool it's not quite the Celtic level from 67 yeah. when they won the European Cup with all local players but there were still a lot of local players in the time oh you Phil Thompson you know Terry McDermott you know these lads were coming through we were looking Kirby though there's areas of Liverpool Kirby Heighton that's always produced footballers you know Kirby produced Mike Marsh you know Kirby's produced a lot of players that have gone Heighton's produced a lot in Steven Gerrard and Peter Reid and the inner cities will always produce footballers I think even in Chesterfield and some that you know, we spoke about about our academy and the need to get it up and running because people love watching their own people play it's something that every club you know wants to see and you know for Liverpool lads to see you know local locals like Phil Thompson lifting the European Cup you know it's something that you know storybooks are made of isn't it yeah absolutely so in terms of absolute memorable match what do you think it could be it could be last week for all I know what's the one that's that's wait you've not got many the back what's the one that's got the back it probably have to be Istanbul Phil it'd have to be yeah because I was there with all my brothers all my family do you know everybody do you know and to watch a football game like that where to say we got played off the pitch the first half wouldn't be doing justice to play it off the pitch so if someone would have said at half time that you'll actually win the game you'd <laughs> come on you know you look back on their team with Kakar and Gattuso and Pelo and Cannavaro's and Bugger and Nestlers and you know Maltini's and whoever else Yapstams so to think that they cave in in that second half and you know after Liverpool not being successful for a period of time obviously it was an amazing night for the supporters an amazing week you know the celebrations are, are there for all to see obviously the disappointment of Covid you know when we won the league yeah, I was outside I'm feeling I felt yeah. yeah why not Phil yeah I'm sorry if I get into trouble yeah, yeah. I had about 40 people with me as well because it was just a feeling of winning that league for the first time in how many years oh, was it yeah, yeah lots and lots and lots of years yeah no, I, can, I, I can get that I absolutely I, I, one of my little uh, uh, claims to fame is just a bit one promotion in 1984 85 mm. without playing it was yeah, yeah. elsewhere and did the same again in um, 10-11 yeah. without playing well I was at both of the matches oh, that affected it so I went to Chester, Chester versus Hereford in 85-86 yeah. and uh, uh, Torquay against Wicked Wanderers in 2010-11 in well, so the season so I'm the only person that saw Chester got promoted both, both times I think it's something that you know and I think any of the players 
pleasure you'll speak to will tell you. We speak about the pleasure that we can bring our supporters. Do you know, we speak about the pain of Wembley. Do you know, and we're, we're not there yet. We're not stupid. We're not sitting here going, we are. But the, the players are aware of how they can make the town feel. And that's a special, special thing to be able to have in your hands, to be able to have the emotions of a town. Liverpool fans have it as a city. Manchester United fans have it as Manchester. But whatever club you support, you love your football club. Yeah. You know, whether you're small or big, it means as much to Dagenham and Redbridge and Wheelston fans as it does to anyone. You know, that's something that we're lucky that we've got a chance now of trying to make our supporters really happy this year. And I know you always like interacting with the supporters home away, wherever it might be, but in, in um, your numerous touchline bands, when you've had to sit a little bit further back, the ones at Chesterfield, has that helped you to uh, observe the fans and how they uh, feel? Or do you know that anyway because you're a footballer? No, I know that, Phil. I know that. You, you feel it, especially with our support. And you know, We were lucky that at Watford, we enjoyed Watford. I actually enjoyed Watford being us, if I believe it or not, Phil, because I, I'm, I was comfortable to be out the cup. Yeah. At that point, I felt we've done enough in this competition. Yeah. Our fans had a great day at Watford. They, just a shame Joe's goal wasn't in our end. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what I've said. Yeah, yeah, that's the two. But we, yeah. we went to a championship team that have got a lot, a lot of good players. And when people go on, I've heard managers in our league saying we've gone toe-to-toe with Chesterfield. And you think, really? You know, is that the highlight of your... You know that you've gone... But for us, we actually went toe-to-toe with Watford. We never took a backward step on that pitch. And to lose, we lost in a really good manner. You know, and our supporters then knew, you know, with the greatest respect that we have, you know, unfinished business in other areas, shall we say. Yeah, I, I, I felt sick at the end of yeah. Watford game. Not, not because we'd... Uh, uh, lost it was that I was feeling happy because we'd lost yeah. <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't reconcile very well but, but you, you didn't want the fixture Phil no you know this is the thing right. with the fixtures you see this weekend now how, to, that, just how well has that worked out with Bromley and Barnett thinking about the trophy and everything it's worked out you know hindsight is the most wonderful thing if we knew we were going to win as many games as we had then probably staying in the trophy might have been an option none of us knew back then when we went into January we had them Tuesday night games at home against Gateshead Woken Altingham really tough games there was nothing in some of them Phil the Altingham game Altingham might have been the better team on the night but these lads found a way to win and win again and keep winning and all of a sudden we sit here today if we can win tomorrow we're going to be in a really strong position with the other two not playing albeit we respect Ebsfleet as you know and there's no such thing as an easy game in any division I would guess I'm just guessing this because I know you reasonably well and uh, Danny Webb sort of says this if Chesterfield did win with X amount of games left you're going to make no difference to the last few games you're going to go out with the same winning mentality wanting to be and it'll only be the last game of the season when some silverware might get whipped out of the box that you'll be able to think about the challenge used to be Phil I used to speak to Liam Richardson at the start of the year and we'd sit there he'd have a cup of coffee as you do and the challenge has always been to obtain objectives so in the past if ever we've been at a club with all due respect like a Chesterfield like a Portsmouth like like a week and like Chesterfield last time our first challenge is to get in the playoffs it's the first challenge you must get in the playoffs once you get in the playoffs can you be promoted once you're promoted can you win the league and they're all steps that you actually have to go through our first challenge as a club is to get over this line once we get over this line Phil there'll be an outpouring of emotion from a lot of people that'll lead to a week or so of whatever that leads to if we can get over that we will then get our foot on the gas to finish the season as strongly as possible because we want to get as many points as we can just make sure you win it at home Chesterfield haven't won promotion at home since the 1930s they won championships Phil as much as I like football Phil I don't care if we can't get it <laughs> I've got it Winning at home. So the 1930s, the last time promotion and championship, of course, is the same thing in, in yeah. this league. You know, you, you, you've, you've I, I, think, I think it's clearly obvious to everyone that we're in a strong position now, and if we can if achieve the objectives, objectives as quickly as possible, I think it'd be great for everyone. I think if you are coming to the end, Phil, I'd just like to say a big thank you to the supporters. 
I think they've turned up in amazing amounts. You know, through January when money's really tight, you know, getting over 6,000 people on a really bitter cold Tuesday night. You know, times are hard for people out there and I can guarantee them the support is so appreciated by everyone in the dressing room. That's Paul Cook, manager of Chesterfield FC. Thank you very much for being here. Thank our, you, Phil. Uh, our first person on uh, weekend warm-up and uh, we look forward to, uh, to seeing the team and the team news tomorrow. We'll be back in a sec and we'll uh, go into Kurt Big and we'll be just looking forward to the Ebbs Fleet match tomorrow. Well, I've got Kurt Big with me. That was uh, terrific from uh, the, the Chesterfield manager, Paul Cook, wasn't it? A great insight into um, the way he thinks, the way he is as a football fan and a football uh, manager. Uh, uh, and, yeah, we have, we've just made the uh, executive decision we're going to put that as a podcast sooner rather than uh, later because it was too good not to have people being able to hear it again. But a real pleasure to listen to him, wasn't it? A hundred percent. And I think that's the sort of thing that you don't normally get from players and managers. You always hear what they have to say after the game. But to hear what they are as a person, a fan, and what the club means to them is just really refreshing to hear. And Paul loves this club and wants to see it succeed like it is at the moment. So it's, you know, it's brilliant to hear, especially when the club's in the position that it's in. Yeah, apologies for the technical difficulties, but we're in a brand new studio for the first time. And uh, we, it took us a few minutes to get going, but hey, we, uh, we were rewarded with that. Anyway, one of the things with weekend warm up, we're running over a little bit today, but we do always want to look forward to the uh, weekend. Absolutely, tomorrow you've been talking to uh, um, a BBC Kent journalist, and uh, you know, what, what are they anticipating out of this tomorrow? Well, he, he said a lot of fans are going to look at this as a free hit, but the one thing that actually can't do is look at it as a free hit. You know, there's what, 14, 15 games remaining for them. The current bottom four is the four teams that got promoted, um, which would show a little bit of, uh, you know, kind of regression in terms of what the promoted teams can do when you look at what you know other teams have done in previous years I think that's part of the National League itself has strengthened so much we've, yeah. heard, we've heard people saying because Notts County and Wrexham aren't in it that it's a weakened division it isn't no it, it, it's, it's, you, you have a look at it and you've got Woking who are who have you know almost in the relegation zone Barnet have strengthened yeah. so much Solihull who I thought were going to struggle this season have been a very good side yes. and, and as we were saying beforehand Altrincham are a fantastic side in this league and one that I think could do very well if they got promoted we see a lot of similarities in Paul Cook with Phil Parkinson don't you yeah he wants to play proper football and have proper footballers in his uh, in his side Epsfleet second bottom as you say 31 points but it's really tight at the bottom Epsfleet I'm not going to go through all the games played everybody Epsfleet 31 second bottom Kidderminster 32 File 32 Woking 33 Dorking 34 York 34 South End 34 so you've got right up to 17th place that are in dire straits. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I, I think I saw something where between 7th and the bottom is 22 or 25 points, pretty much what the gap is between ourselves and Bromley, which shows how tight this league is. And you look at the bottom four, and I think Fylde and uh, Kidderminster have kind of they've changed their managers and they've reaped the benefits of the little manager bounce, whether that continues, especially with Kidderminster and Phil Brown is yet to be seen but I mean absolutely last season uh, last week got a 0-0 draw against Oldham Athletic and Oldham had Mike Fondop James Norwood Joe Garner and Andrew Dallas on the pitch which shows that they've and, and we know what their defence is like when we went down there in September Mark Cousins had an absolutely outstanding game still played every game this season so far Mark and, and and he's got a goal as well uh, that, that's something that, that's something the, the, the journalist said was the fact that he's doing at both ends almost <laughs> anyway Chesterfield on 48 goals scored in the National League at home so they're averaging exactly three the game if they get to two tomorrow reaches 50 that will be only the third time in 66 years that any Chesterfield side scored 50 at home the last time was John uh, Sheridan's championship winning side in 10-11 with Craig Davis and Jack Webster uh, at the top of the games the previous time was 1969-70 fourth division champions Ernie Moss and Kevin Randall at the top of the game so 50 goals in, the, in, in recent years in modern times has meant championship yeah. winners and Cookie was never going to say that but of course the other club going to win the championship uh, at, at some stages I don't know who, 
engineer Simon doing in the background there. But it's just a question of when, isn't it, really? But um, from what we've just heard from Cookie, they're not going to take the foot off the gas at all, are they? No, and you've heard it from Danny Webb in post-matches and pre-matches that they're taking it one game at a time and it's a it's a really good initiative to take because you don't know what can happen um, I've, I, I think I got told during the week that when Burton went up when they they, they were 19 points clear yeah, and, then ended up, and so you, you never know what could happen and if Chesterfield go on a run like that or similar to the one between was it Barnet and Gateshead last season then suddenly Bromley and Barnet can start whittling off those points if it would have been asking me when was the earliest anybody won any division and all that sort of stuff and it's impossible without having 300 years worth of research opportunities available actually last year and I, and I know that National League South isn't a fully professional league but they won by 20 points last season so that's the biggest gap I've managed to, to find yeah. uh, the biggest in the National League Luton won it by 19 but their main rivals Cambridge crumbled a little bit at the end so they, were, they never had a 19 point gap until right at the, right the end but it's going to be 25 tomorrow with Chesterfield win. I, I, I don't want to say that's unprecedented in English professional football but I suspect it is you'd be very certainly this time of year well, yeah he, I mean even when Manchester City have dominated the league in, in past years I think it's been maybe 15 16 points that they've won by against Manchester United nobody's ever won the top division and that's the Premier League and before football was invented in 1992 in the old first division nobody's ever won the top division before April wow ever and, and, and that I'm sure that would have been quite recent with like City or maybe even Chelsea a little, little bit ago but it just shows you how good this team is and how impressive almost every single member has been like you were saying with James Berry and how, how brilliant he's been in the past month and then you've got Harry Tyra who's one clean sheet off of ten clean sheets for the season and even the players that haven't played as much you know Bailey Obson what he did at Kidderminster starting to get them a bit rolling and Ryan Boot who maybe hasn't played as much as he would have wanted but you know I, I'm lucky to go to the training ground here and there and you see he's ready to play oh he's ready to play he's giving advice to both Harry and Luke Chadwick and he's always putting his all into it so it's such a great like, like Paul said it's such a great group of players and one that the town can be really proud of thanks very much Kurt it's uh, weekend wind up and uh, thanks for a fascinating hour from Paul Cook thanks to Kurt as well and hopefully Ellie Yates will be uh, better for next week and uh, special thanks to our excellent uh, engineer Simon Marsh just sitting behind us at the moment for making this uh, possible we're sort of building a studio brick by brick just at the moment to try and make it uh, uh, easier for things like this and also for Kurt and Bron and uh, uh, Nick to be able to interview people in, in uh, excellent conditions I'll be back with Ellie next Friday at 7 o'clock for the next instalment of Weekend Warm Up thanks very much for listening this evening and uh, well we'll all enjoy the weekend a lot more if those three points come Chesterfield's way tomorrow Thank you.